Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. You've been standing a while. Can you, can you handle it for a few more minutes? Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. I have a lengthy passage to read is why I said that. And if you're newer to the church, you probably figured out a lot of times we, we do all the time. We stand for the reading of the word. And the reason I do that is because we've lost so much tradition and everything in our society. And I think in church, some traditions needed to go, but some traditions are good. And we've stood in reverence to the Lord. I like standing in reverence to the word. I'm going to preach an hour, 20 minutes. So you'll be sitting a while. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to preach an hour, 20 minutes. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first chapter of Corinthians, and I want to read verses 17 through 25, and I'll try to read fast. And then I want to go to chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 5. I know it's a lot, but I'm going to preach this whole text, but I'm not going to do it extemporaneous, or, or rather, uh, verse by verse. I'm going, to, I'm going to preach extrapolating truths. So here we go, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Everybody say effect. Just hang on. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? the debaters of this age. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, that's the gospel, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are being called, or who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen to the Word. You feel that, don't y'all? You can be seated. Thank you so much. The gospel of Christ is central to the Christian faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the core of our religion. It is the life-transforming message for the world. What is the gospel? Let me remind you, most of us know, but some may not. The gospel is the promise of salvation through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We sang about it in some of the songs this morning. It is the good news message because that's what the word gospel means, good news. 
It's from that word, it's euangelion. It's from that word that we get our, our word evangelist. It is, it is the good news message that a sinner can be delivered from the bondage of sin by trusting in Jesus and his redemptive work by leaning wholly, entirely, completely on God's grace. A sinner can be cleansed, can be forgiven, can be transformed, can be made right with God. And central to the gospel story, of course, is the death of Jesus on a cross. Paul says in our text that Jesus' crucifixion is a manifestation of God's power and God's wisdom. How so? The death of Christ is powerful in that, and I said you had you say this word earlier, because it effectively deals with man's sin problem. When, when, when we study things like cause and effect, something causes something and there's a result from it, there's an effect, something takes place. And through the cross, we find cause and effect. On the cross, Jesus caused salvation to happen, and now it works effectively that when we put our faith in Christ and we come to the Lord and lean on His grace, there is an effect, a cause and effect through the cross and through the sinner, and the sinner is made a saint of God. Sinners are transformed into saints. Sin is removed as an obstacle between man and God. Look, look, 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the cross works. The, the cross works. 2 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Watch this. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You don't get to go to heaven. And Paul said, and such were some of you. And some of you right now are saying, and such was some of me. But the next line tells the effectiveness of the cross. But, Paul said, these same people in this lifestyle, Paul said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God cleanses all sins. It's the power of the cross. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are you getting me? There is a power in the death of Jesus Christ. That's why the, the old hymn that we've sung in the church for years, the hymn writer got it. He saw it. We sing, there is, po there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Boom, 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 boom. I wish I had the band up here now. Right? There's power, power, wonderful working power in the blood of the Lamb, in the precious blood of the Lamb. He's got it right. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Hey, there's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Hey, would you be wider, much wider than snow? Guess what? There's power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. You know why? Because there's wonderful power in the blood. 
There is power within the death of Jesus. Andre Crouch had it right when he said it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. There is a power within the cross. But, but, but the cross and the death of Jesus is also a manifestation of the wisdom of God. Why? Because it was the perfect solution to our dilemma and you read of this in another place in the gospel. And I'm, I can't take every scripture. But here's the dilemma. There is a wisdom that you've got to see. And I've preached this before, but you may not have caught this. But it has to be preached today as I continue to preach the rest of this message. Here's the dilemma. How can our righteous creator forgive our sin and remain true to his holy character? How can he do that? God won't wink at sin. God will not let us get off scot-free for our sin. He would be unjust as the righteous judge. And he's called the righteous judge. He's identified as the righteous judge in the Bible. If, if, if he, he would be unjust if he didn't require payment for our sins. It's very similar to someone who commits a capital crime that demands capital punishment, which means you should go to the electric chair and die for what you've done. And you stand before the judge, and the judge could be a very loving man, a very kind man, a family man, someone that you just said, this is a wonderful person. And you think, well, surely because he's such a kind, wonderful, loving person, he'll, he'll let me go. But no, the judge says, I have this black robe on, and, and I know I'm kind and loving, but right now I'm also the judge. And there is a law, and my job is to uphold the law. And you have broken the law. And the law says that if you break this particular law, you commit this particular crime, then you have to die. I'm bound by the law. How is God going to forgive us? Because we're, we're sinful before him. It, it demands punishment. And God, in his wisdom, has a solution. I'll send my son. He'll become a man. He'll robe with flesh. He'll live a sinless life. And then he will go to the electric chair instead of you. And I'll take all of your sin and guiltiness and I'll put it on him. And he'll die instead of you. And then the punishment will be paid and, and the law will be carried out. And he'll be dead. You'll be alive but more than that will happen. First of all, you can't kill the source of life with a capital L, so my son will come back to life three days later. And then when you put my faith in what he did, because he got in the place of you and did for you what you should have done, died, and he paid the penalty, and you'll see my love and my grace and what my wisdom, if you'll just trust what he did. I will give you something you just accept it. I'll give you something you don't deserve. I'll give you forgiveness. And not only that, but I'll change your whole character. And where you're a bad person, I'll make you a good person. I'll make you a righteous person. As a matter of fact, I won't just make you give you righteousness. I'll make you righteousness. As a matter of fact, it won't just be some set-aside independent righteousness. I'll take my righteousness and give it to you. It's not just anybody's righteousness. It's the righteousness from me. How's that? And by coming up with that plan, God is both just and justifier. How many are glad he's a justifier? How many are glad he justified you one day? How many are glad for the power and the wisdom of the cross? Give him praise in this house this morning. 
Now, if you're saved, all of this makes sense to you, right? You see the wisdom of God. You've experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. But now I want to go in a different direction. However, the wisdom of the world, which Paul talks a lot about a lot in this passage, examines the gospel and labels it foolishness. It explores the death of Jesus and calls it weakness. They can't, they can't grasp it. This was the case in the first century. It was the case for the Jews. The Jews, in their mind, if you went to a cross and died on a cross, then it signified that you were under the curse of God. So when they saw Jesus hanging on a cross, they saw a man who was under the curse of God, who could not be the Son of God, who could not be the Messiah, who could not be sinless. He was a criminal, he was a blasphemer, and he was under the curse of God. The thing was, he wasn't under the curse of God, he was carrying the curse of men. Our curse. He became a curse for us. So it was a stumbling block, something that trips you up. And so they, can't, they couldn't look at the cross and see Jesus' death as a special revelation of an instrument of God's grace and salvation and love. They, they just couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't get around it. And for the Gentiles, those are non-Jews, thought and reason were superior to faith. Even though in the first century, Rome was the power in control, the Roman civilization the previous civilization, the Greek civilization, had a heavy influence on the Roman culture. If you remember, some of you studied this in school. And so Greek thought permeated Roman culture. And so thought and reason were superior to faith. Gentiles were thinkers who speculated on ideas and needed rational evidence in order to believe something. And does that sound very familiar to our Western civilization and culture today? Very similar, does it? And so the concept of God robing with flesh and dying on a cross to save people was irrational to them. It was nonsense. And rather than yield to God's work and power and God's wisdom, they wanted God to accommodate them. And Paul explained that Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. And do you know that 20 centuries later in this 21st century, there are people that still wrestle with the same things fundamentally today. Let me explain. For some people, they want to feel something before they get saved. They got to feel something. Something's got to happen. I hear people say, well, you know, if God will speak to me audibly, I got to see the handwriting on the wall. The Lord will just have to come down and hit me upside the head. You don't want the Lord hitting you upside the head. They want to feel something. They have to have something like that to jar them, to, to make them to believe. Other people don't have to feel something, but they have to figure it out. You try to share the gospel, and they have lots of questions. There's nothing wrong with having questions. And you do not lay your intellectualism aside when you come to Christ. There is a rationale to the faith. Okay? But it doesn't take intellectualism or nor rationale to be saved. It just takes faith. And that's the problem is they want to figure it out. They want to analyze the gospel. they got to analyze every scripture. They have to have total comprehension before they can settle it in their heart and their mind and say, well, I guess, I guess this is true. I'll give my life to Jesus. The problem is you'll never get there. Because the problem is 
this is God's salvation plan and God's story, and he's under no obligation to make you feel something. And he's never asked you to figure it out. He's under no obligation to answer all of your questions so that you can be satisfied. Because you're like, all right, well, I'm all right. Well, God, let's see, you've answered about all of them. Well, I'm okay, God, I think that's a pretty good plan. It's like you have to give your approval. I've analyzed it, Lord. I've thought it through. Yeah, I think that'll work. Okay, what do we do next? What's the next step? Mr. Analytical, Mrs. Analytical. You, You don't, God doesn't need your approval. You're in no shape or condition to approve anything God does. He doesn't need you to figure it out. He doesn't need you to feel something. He just needs you to come in faith and say, if God did it, it must, it must work because he has all power and he has all the wisdom. And if he came up with it, it has to be not just a good idea, it's the only idea. And I'm just going to trust it. See, the real struggle is often between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom flows from his perfect nature. It flows from his perfect knowledge. He knows everything perfectly from the past, the present, and the future. He knows the end from the beginning. Isn't that cool? Well, if you have all knowledge, then you should be wise because then he knows what needs to take place and what to do because he already knows what's going to happen. He already knows the context. You're not even there. You're 10 years out, but God already knows. So he has perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge. And and his wisdom is manifested then in his perfect actions as recorded in the Bible. You say, well, I, I'm going to question some things God did in the Bible. Go ahead and question them, but if you just look hard enough, there's wisdom behind everything God did. It's perfect. You know, God's wisdom is not hypothetical. God's wisdom is never theoretical. It's based on fact because God knows absolute truth. Do you ever think God's never guessing at anything? I mean, we're still guessing. Has the, has, 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 has the universe always existed? Is there an eternality to the universe? Was there a big bang? Who lit the match? It takes more faith to believe in the big bang than it does the Bible. I've always said that. We have theories. Trying to figure it out. Not God. God God has absolute truth, and God is absolute truth. But the wisdom of this world is man-centered. It relies on theoretical surmising and philosophical pondering. And the wisdom of this world is intentionally secular and humanistic. And it's critical of absolute truth, especially moral truth that's found in the Scriptures. In the last 300 years, Western civilization has been through two major periods that have determined the direction of worldly wisdom. This sounds like a history class. It is. The first period is the Enlightenment. Anybody ever heard of that? Scholars say it started around 1715 to 18th century, carried over into the 20th century. It it, it really morphed into what has been called modernism. In the Enlightenment, there were tremendous advances and progress in, in science and technology and medicine. So much so that we got cocky. How's that for just plain old preaching? We got cocky. 
especially the elitist and the intellectuals. And listen to the preacher. It's always the elitist and the intellectuals who get nations in trouble. Ah, that's good preaching, Pastor. Man, you just called them out. Yes, yes, don't, don't be dumb. See it for what it is. They think they're smarter than you. They think they know better than you. Bless your heart. You're too dumb to make the right decision. We need to make them for you. So consequently, science and reason triumphed faith and tradition. And those intellectuals and elitists started believing something. They believed in the perfectibility of the human nature. They said, oh, with all this technology and science and medicine, we're going to eradicate poverty. We're going to eradicate war. We're going to eradicate diseases. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change ourselves. We're, this is a period not only of enlightenment, of evolution. We're going to become better people because of technology. We're going we're gonna to conquer even ourselves. They believed in the perfectibility of human nature. They believed our total self-improvement would come through our human knowledge. Men began to think that we were our own saviors, and they didn't include God or Christianity in any of it. All right. I'm, I, this is different preaching, I know, but I'm having fun. So now I'm just going to really throw you a curve. Anybody in here like Star Trek? And the rest of you are scared to death to raise your hands. I was born in 1966. Star Trek came out about then. So I remember as a kid, them playing Star Trek on TV. It didn't last long, not many seasons. Nobody thought it would make it. It was highly criticized. No one knew that that thing would have a cult following that would go all the way to 2023. And all these years later, for Pete's sake, Captain Kirk did go into outer space. William Shatner, the actor, went up on one of Elon Musk's rockets. You had, you had these characters, Captain Kirk, Lieutenant Uhura, Mr. Spock, Scotty, the engineer. I can't do it, Captain. The dilithium crystals are blown, Captain. See, if you've never watched Star Trek, you're totally clueless. You need to get educated. Go to Netflix. Go to YouTube. Mr. Sulu, Mr. Chekhov. You never wanted to be a security guy because they all got killed. If you had a red shirt on, you're, you're lasting one episode, baby, and you're gone. Nobody knew. Next thing you know, Star Trek Next Generation comes on. Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Star Trek, a few more, Voyager. See, there's a Trekkie. I said, Pastor, you know a lot about Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Then they started making Star Trek movies with William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. And then that generation passed, and then they started making movies with Jean-Luc Picard. The tug. Only people who've watched Star Trek know what I'm talking about. Make it so. I know all the lines because I like I used to watch Star Trek Next Generation. And so they started making movies. And then you had a whole new generation that came along. Chris Pine and all these. They made 
remakes new Star Trek movies. And it's carried over today. And there's a whole generation saying, man, that is so cool. Yeah, it's been around since the 1960s. You thought it was something new. And you say, why are you talking about Star Trek on Sunday morning? There's a reason why. Because if you watch enough Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, the author of Star Trek, came up with this. If you read it, it, it takes place. I'm not a Trekkie, okay, so I'm not one of those people. I don't go to the conventions and all. I just happen to like to watch Star Trek. But if you, if you watch it enough, I think it takes place like three or 400 years into the future. Okay, so it's that, it's that far. And the, under, the underlying tone through all of it is mankind has evolved. Everything that I just preached to you in the Enlightenment modernism, it, that's the basis for Star Trek. There's no disease. They got tricorders that'll read what's going on. They can give you something. If you broke a bone, they'll just use a little and the bone set and healed. Looks like a little salt shaker. That's because it was in the original one. That thing was a salt shaker. Found that out. Little trivia. Did you notice in Star Trek? There's no money. No money. Cashless society, don't need money. Everybody's needs are met. Sounds like socialism, doesn't it? Everybody's needs are met. Nobody gets sick. No poverty. No more wars. We don't fight each other. Now we're in the Federation of Planets. Now we just go out and we explore. We explore strange new worlds to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go, you know. See, even in 1960, through media, through media, this particular medium, they're starting to say, we're smart enough. We can fix it. We'll entertain you with this science fiction, but we're just telling you we can do this. We don't need God. We don't need the Bible. You never see or hear of God or Christianity in Star Trek. That's what I'm telling you. See, there's a philosophy there that's just in a very common science fiction entertainment method. So that was the Enlightenment. Oh, we're going to make everything better. Two world wars shattered that dream. Because the same technology that was doing good was the same technology that came up with, came up with machine guns, carpet bombing, and the atomic bomb. And we killed millions and millions and millions of us. So what happened next was called postmodernism. Y'all need this, by the way. Just hang on. If you're bored, get on your phone, I guess. Hope your phone quits working. <laughs> so what followed is what's called postmodernism. And, and right now, scholars are wondering if we're leaving postmodernism into something else. They surely don't know what this is. But postmodernism was kind of the opposite of modernism. It, it says that there is no universal truth. It's very hard. Postmodernism is almost like a moving target trying to peg it. There's no universal truth. Everything you know is by your own subjective experience. How do you know what right and wrong is? Well, because my life, my experience, my culture, how I was raised... My, the, 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 the sum of all my experiences. That's how I know what's right and what's wrong. There is no universal truth. I don't need the Bible. I don't need the government. I don't sure don't need educators. I don't need anybody else telling me. 
I'll figure it out all by myself. Because that's the only person I can trust is me. Can't trust the government. Sure can't trust the church. Can't trust education. Can't trust history. You notice they're rewriting history? Words have no meaning in postmodernism. Because words are just tools to manipulate people to get you to do what you want. That's how radical these people are. So the funny thing is, they use words to try to get us to believe what they believe and convince us that we're wrong. I know right now you're going, what in the world does this have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 1? All things are irrational. It's a very cynical ideology. Let me tell you what it has to do. Because what it's led to in our time is the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world is presently inverse and perverse. And we live in a society now battered by wokeness. Y'all know what wokeness is? I was riding in the car one day with the staff. One of them said something about woke. It was a few years ago. I said, what's woke? Woke's what you do when you wake. When you wake, you woke. So Evan and Gabe are trying to explain to me what woke means. So I'm trying to figure out woke. And that's been a few years ago. Now we hear woke all the time. Woke initially meant to be aware and to be progressive relative to political and cultural issues. Recently, listen to me, it describes people who adhere to a worldly ideology that is most often the opposite of what we believe in the Bible. So, hold, just put your seatbelt on. Here are examples of wokeness. There are more than two genders. We are collectively responsible for the sins of our ancestors. Parents are not ultimately responsible for the upbringing of their children. That's the government's job or somebody who just thinks they know better than you. The right of free speech exists only as it is regulated by the government or anyone who happens to oppose your opinion. You have a right to riot and to debase and destroy somebody else's personal property. A transgender, and I use air quotes, woman, who is actually and physiologically a man, can compete against women in collegiate sports and also use the women's locker room. And that's what's happening right now in the NCAA. Aborting a baby is not the murder of a human being. It's reproductive health. Now, I'm not here to be political, not here to go down that road. I'm here to talk about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Let me just help you. The wisdom of the world, here's, here's the thing. We cannot embrace any of that. Because the wisdom of God, which is found in the Bible, which means something to us, it tells us differently than what the wisdom of the world says. So, for example, there are two genders. I, I can't handle that because Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm never, oh, absolute term. Look out, Pastor. I'm never going to accept more than two genders. But I don't need worldly wisdom. I got, what I, I got what I need right here in the Bible. Okay, so 
what was the second one that we're collectively responsible for the sins of our ancestors? No, we're not. That's not even biblical. That's part of critical race theory. And if you're curious what you want to know more about that, go to the Let's Talk About podcast that Evan and I do. And we actually did a whole episode on critical race theory. But I, I went over to Jeremiah chapter 31, and there was actually, it wasn't critical race theory, it's critical sin theory in the Bible. The Jews had come up with a theology that said, if the father sins, then the kids will pay for it. And, there, and so here, there, was this, in, there was this little saying, and here's what the Bible says. In those days they shall say no more, and this was the little proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes. Ooh. Right? Oh. And the children's teeth are set on edge. So I can eat the sour grapes, but my kids go, oh, 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 and they suffer for what I'm doing. Getting it? They have to pay for what the previous generation did. God said, that's not how it works. He said, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. I'll give you two words. It's called personal responsibility. Bible from the beginning to the end, personal responsibility. You know, we, you, parents, you don't really get to bring your kids up. That, somebody else needs to tell, tell you how to do that. Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Tells me to do it. I'm the dad. My job's to raise my kids. Bring them up, and then it tells me how. In training and the admonition of the Lord. Free speech. Is it free speech? You know there are a lot of countries that don't have free speech. I cannot preach like this in Canada. They would send police in and arrest me. Free speech ain't free. I thank God for free speech. Even when somebody says something I disagree with, at least we can both have the freedom to say what we want. But we're losing that. There are people that want to take that away from us. My problem is Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth. How's that for a quickie? Speak the truth. In love. You, don't, you can't tell me not to speak the God, especially God's truth. That's what it's talking about. Okay, We're not gonna, I'm not here to talk about what, what is. I'm not here to get into an ethical, hot topic, what is free speech, what's permissible. What, that's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about you don't get to say you cannot preach against sin or that, that makes, that's hate speech, Pastor Chris, and we'll fine you or we'll close down your church or we'll arrest you and put you in jail. Put me in jail, but I'm still going to do what Ephesians says and speak the truth in love. Because I, I go by the Bible, not by what the wisdom of this world says. Is any of this making sense to y'all? Here's the problem. When the wisdom of the world gets in the church and replaces the wisdom of God, I had a... Had a I, 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 don't, I read the news, and somebody from the church actually shot this to me, but I would have gotten to it, but he, he, got, he got it to me. Fox News had an article Tuesday. So if you want it dated, February 7th, 2023, here's the title, Church of England to Consider Gender-Neutral God.
They're looking at stopping the usage of he and him when referring to God and get ready and dropping our Father at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Now that's a problem. When you're letting the wisdom of the world get in the church. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 came to my mind, and I think they have this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, things that aren't true. Brothers and sisters, that time has come. I came here to tell you this morning that prophecy is being fulfilled. And musicians, you might as well get up here because I'm going to close this thing up. We cannot allow the wisdom of the world to replace the wisdom of God as far as the church is concerned, as far as the saints of God are concerned. Brothers and sisters, we cannot permit the foolishness of our culture to supplant the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of the living God because it is through the Holy Spirit that we can discern truth. It is through the Holy Spirit and the filter of God's word that we can figure out what's deception and what's lies and, and what's, what's perversion and what's corruption and what's immorality and that's worldly in its background. This is why pastors and preachers must have a backbone and have conviction in the 21st century if I could get all the preachers together I'd say get a backbone and preach the word preach the word tell it like it is Put, make sure you love everybody while you're preaching don't preach on hell like you want them to go there preach the word but love people preach against sin declare the gospel of Jesus Christ I'm going to preach the gospel I preached last Sunday on the Lamb of God and I'm going to preach the gospel and when I preach the gospel I'm going to talk about how sad, bad sin is I'm going to preach about how sin is wrong I'm not going to have a problem reading a scripture that says homosexuality is wrong that sodomy is wrong that adultery is wrong people can get up and they want to walk out of this service fine get up and walk out all you're doing is closing your ears to the truth of the living God that can set you free all you're doing is stay bound up to the wisdom of this world I am going to preach the word I'm going to preach what God said I'm not going to give you Chris's conversation or commentary I want to give you what thus says the Lord preach the cross. I'm going to talk about the blood. I'm going to talk about the death of Jesus. I want to talk about his suffering and yes, I'm going to preach his resurrection. Why? Because they sing it, but I'm preaching it. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care what the world says. I am not ashamed of the death of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the thorns. I'm not ashamed of the nails in his hands and feet. I'm not ashamed of his beaten back for it is is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There is an inherent power in the gospel of Jesus. You better stand up for me to quit. The gospel changes lives. It's been changing lives for 2,000 years. 
let the world call me a fool. Let them label my preaching foolishness. But here's what I've learned. 35 plus years of ministry. This foolishness that I'm preaching, it'll reach a sinful U.S. centered. It'll reach a messed up school janitor. It'll make a mean man nice and a proud woman humble. It'll liberate the alcoholic and it'll deliver the drug addict. It'll purify a prostitute and it'll sanctify a shoplifter. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody give God praise in this house if you believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world has lost its way. The world has lost its mind. It is speeding quickly on a road that leads straight to hell. And there is only one thing that will save this generation, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The wisdom this world leaves in its wake. Heartache, pain, disappointment, disillusion, devastation. Just ask these poor young adults who are talked into sex changes and now regret their decision because they listened to the wisdom of the world. But they didn't know they were fine just as they were because they were made in the image of God. And God loves everybody just as well. I'm telling you this morning, we've got to preach the wisdom of God. We've got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the answer. We know the truth. So brothers and sisters, let's tell the world that there is another way. In love, let's tell the world what the Bible has to say. Let's tell them they can be saved. Let's tell them they can be healed. Let's tell them they can be delivered. Let's tell them they can know their purpose in life. Let's let them know they can be right with God through Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give him praise this morning. Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands if you're saved all over this place. I want you to praise the Lord and then what I want you to do is say, God, help me to live by your wisdom and never by the wisdom of this world. Help me to live by your wisdom. I'm sorry, I was yelling, but I'm Pentecostal. I can't help it every once in a while I yell because I'm fired up and passionate about what I believe just as much as anybody in this world. Tell him, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live for you, I'm gonna serve you, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to live, I'm going to raise my kids according to the wisdom of God's word. I'm going to raise my children. Our marriage is going to be based on the word of God. My family, we're going to, it's going to center on what thus says the Lord. And we're not going to let the wisdom of this, wisdom of God, not let the wisdom of this world come into our family, come into our marriage. By the grace of God through the elders of this church, we're going to keep that stuff from getting into high praises. Stay in the Word. Preach the Word. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.